IoT Unplugged. Tune in to the Internet of Things. Satellite IoT, traditionally a less favoured option in the IoT space due to its high operational costs and technological limitations, is now witnessing a paradigm shift. Advancements like miniaturised cost-effective satellites and improved direct-to-device technology are propelling satellite IoT to the foreground of global connectivity options. These developments promise to extend IoT's reach, offering seamless connectivity even in remote areas. However, the road to fully integrating satellite IoT is complex, marked by challenges in network integration, scalability and maintaining cost effectiveness. To discuss this, I'm joined by Oliver Potter, COO of Ground Control. Oliver, thanks for joining us today. If you can just start by introducing yourself and what Ground Control does. Brilliant. Thank you. Yes, I'm Oliver Potter. I work for Ground Control and we are a satellite IoT specialist. So we help our customers connect their their assets anywhere around the world. So those can range from you know ships and boats to wind farms and solar power to an exotic array of different things. Okay, you've mentioned a lot of applications there, but obviously satellite IoT isn't the one of the main ways people connect their IoT devices. So I was wondering, perhaps you could give us an overview of satellite IoT and its current role in the landscape of the sector. Of course, yeah. So if you imagine the world, only 15% of it has cellular or mobile coverage. And that means that the remaining 85% of the world can only be served by satellites. And in our highly data-driven world, having information from those assets globally is, is critical. The data drives so many things that are critical to our lives. So if you imagine you know, our weather and, and weather forecasts, they rely on data from the middle of the oceans. Uh, the efficient operation of our utilities, so getting our gas and electric to our houses, means we need to know what, what the renewables are doing or what's happening in oil and gas pipelines. You know, we help track and provide information from aeroplanes and boats. You know, when will your order be delivered and, and making sure the supply chains are working properly. And now with kind of climate change, increasingly there are applications for really sophisticated farming. So when to water the crops, when to spray the crops, when to harvest the crops. So all sorts of really interesting use cases. So it's it's absolutely critical. And outside of the cellular coverage, there's a huge world out there. Okay, well, you mentioned its growing uses. How has it evolved since its inception and, and uh, early use? Uh, ab- absolutely. So there's some really interesting innovations that have, have come recently and will come over the coming years a big technical innovation that's driven this has been a massive reduction in the satellite launch costs so the cost to put a kilogram of of a a satellite into space that cost has fallen by 90 percent over the last decade and with that lower launch cost there's an increasing focus on putting satellites up there and particularly what's called low earth orbit networks. So these are networks where the satellites are much closer to the Earth and they rotate around the Earth really quickly. And therefore, because they're closer to the Earth, you need lots of satellites to provide all of that coverage. So the lower launch costs have allowed more of those to be put up in the sky. And then the satellites themselves are a lot cheaper. 
really mainly because the satellite companies are able to take risks that they didn't weren't able to before so in the past you'd put one two three satellites in space they would be a long long way out in what's called a geostationary orbit so it rotates at the same pace the earth rotates so it stays over the the same bit of landmass all the time so if you're putting one to three satellites in space up and you're going to leave them there for 20 years you need to be really really sure it's going to work for a long period of time but with the low earth orbit networks it's a cheaper to put the satellites up and b if you've got hundreds or thousands of satellites you can afford to have a few spares and you can move them around to make that up so companies have then started using off-the-shelf parts in order to make these satellites and therefore the cost again has fallen and while there's lots of excitement about you know new people launching satellites actually probably the most interesting innovations that have been consequential to iot have actually been from the incumbent network so iridium and inmarsat and iridium relaunched its entire network in 2019 so only a few years ago and it now has uh, an IP streaming service and a larger message service. So those are called Certus and IMT. And then Inmarsat are also launching a bigger messaging service called OGX. And what those two things have really done is it's reduced the cost per kilobyte. Uh, and therefore there are new use cases that are, are viable and that's really helping to grow the overall satellite market. Okay, great. Well, you mentioned some developments that, you know, have propelled the use of satellite IoT. I was wondering, you know, are there still any sort of challenges that are facing the industry? Like perhaps is there going to be a greater regulation of uh, people uh, sending up satellites or anything like that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, this is really complex things. So satellites are obviously a long way away. Uh, and one of the challenges has been, you know, you have to point very carefully at that geostationary satellite. And thankfully, you know, one of the amazing innovations that's been, particularly with the low Earth orbit networks, is you don't need to point the satellite, don't need to point the terminal anymore. You can have really small antenna that can point, they're sort of, they're called omnidirectional, and you don't need to point them at the satellite. And, and therefore, that's a, a major challenge that has been uh, overcome. Uh, which means you have smaller devices, you can have, you don't have to have a big stack, static dish. And, in, and importantly, your, whatever your device is can, can move around and it can be on a, a boat or an airplane and, and not have to worry about pointing. You mentioned regulation. Regulation is, of course, challenging. So in the early days of, of getting satellites up into, into space, um, there was an international, it's called the ITU, uh, uh, the International Telecoms Union, and they coordinate to give the satellite networks the spectrum they need to use. And then those networks they need to agree with all of the countries they want to operate in, that they're able to do so. And one of the big challenges that's still there is getting access to that spectrum and getting the, the, the agreement with all of the countries to land data in, in their countries. So, uh, it, it's not straightforward, but it's great to see devices that are smaller, more battery powered. You don't need to point them, but there are still challenges ahead. Okay. Thinking of these challenges and we're talking about some of these uh, examples, I was wondering, do you know any specific initiatives in satellite IoT that perhaps didn't succeed as expected? And, you know, what can be learned from that? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting question. So 
Uh, if I take you back, so in one of my earlier answers, I talked about how the cost of launching a satellite had fallen by 90%. And one of the big things that drove was a large number of entrepreneurs announced new satellite networks in the last sort of five to 10 years ago. There were probably about 30 to 40 new satellite IoT constellations that were announced. And the promise was materially cheaper satellite IoT leveraging you know, those satellite network cost reductions. The challenge though, has been nearly all of these have failed, failed to launch or failed to launch at any scale. I think a few of them have put one or two satellites up where their plans were thousands, but many haven't put any up. Uh, and despite the cost reductions and new technology, it's still very complicated and expensive to launch and then operate a new network. So they ran into challenges like Spectrum, having the landing rights agreed with each country and the capacity and traction with the market. So I think one of the challenges with hindsight was that so many announcements, the market didn't know who would win and therefore who to choose. So if you've got an IoT project, the last thing you wanted to do was roll out your devices in the middle of nowhere and then find the network you chose isn't operating years or months down the line. And as such, with those challenges, the adoption for those that did launch anything was very low. And realistically, the real winners so far have been the, the more incumbent networks who have relaunched their networks, taking advantage of the, the new lower launch costs um, and, and make them an obvious choice for, for IoT projects for now. Uh, the prices haven't tumbled, but the price per kilobyte has absolutely come down. Uh, and again, that's the kind of supporting new use cases. So it's been a really interesting decade with all of the, the new entrants, but so far, none have really kind of made it over the line. Okay, well, you mentioned it's been an interesting decade that's to happen for satellite IoT. Maybe we could, what would you say in the decade ahead is stuff to look look for in the satellite IoT space? You know, maybe like what would be the two-year thing that you'd... Um, that you'd be looking at in the five-year thing and the 10-year thing? What do you think we can see uh, in developments in the coming decade? So the newest thing in satellite is the potential for sort of standards-based satellite IoT. So all of the satellite networks I've mentioned have had a bespoke waveform. So the the way the, the messages or the IP is sent between the satellite and, and the ground terminal have been bespoke to that particular network. Um, well, what we're now talking about is doing standards-based satellite IoT, which is very much how the mobile phone world works. So you take your phone and it will work in Europe, it will work in America, it will work anywhere around the world. And that's because uh, of the 3GPP body that coordinates uh, mobile standards agreed for you know, cellular GSM, so 2G, 3G, 4G, and now 5G standards have all been agreed and all of the equipment vendors and operators adhere to those standards. Now, the same conversation is now happening around satellite IoT, and the proposal is to use a new form of the narrowband IoT technology that the cellular networks use. So the, the principle is that by adopting a standard, the modules will be cheaper 
and potentially devices can roam from one satellite network to another. And by having competition for multiple networks, that potentially over time reduces prices versus what they would otherwise have been. You know, again, going back, if you've got an IoT project and you're rolling it out, if you have a view that you're tied to one particular network for the next 15 years and you have no forward visibility of prices, that, that's one assumption in your business case. But it's a sort of more compelling assumption uh, on price for the future if you believe you could then roam between one network and another and therefore there's competition in the market. The narrowband IoT standard uh, uses NIDD, which is non-IP data delivery. And it's very similar to the messaging that is already employed on some of the satellite networks. So we know it can work. Uh, it's very similar to short burst data from Iridium or IDP so, uh, from uh, Inmarsat. Uh, the big difference here is it's an agreed standard. So more than one satellite network could use it. Uh, and I think given the failure of the sort of bespoke waveform new sats that I mentioned before, over the last decade, I think the IoT market may and probably will have more confidence in a standard. Um, uh, and so I, I do see over the it's, it's hard to break this down into the into the uh, into the, the time horizons. Uh, but I, I would say for the next one to two to three to four years, you're you're still absolutely supporting the existing technologies. I think is this is a the the new IMT from Iridium, it's the new OGX service from Viasat and Inmarsat. They're on networks that have got spectrum all the way around the world. They've got landing rights all the way around the world. Um, uh, and they are viable for the long term. And they both are also talking about adopting the standard. I think beyond that sort of five year horizon, I do think you know there may be some more disruption. I do think that potentially one of those players or another player will launch a new satellite network and support uh, potentially a standards-based uh, service. And I think you know if you had a, a new low Earth orbit IoT network that supported standards, that would be quite a game changer in, in terms of price uh, and availability of service around the world. So in the sort of five to 10 year horizon, that's what I expect will happen who and how i'm not entirely sure but that's certainly what i would i would expect okay well with this sort of like a let's say proliferation of uh, satellite iot as a, an offering of connectivity i know you mentioned that currently satellite iot serves you know the shipping industry or agriculture but if there is this sort of expansion of its use what other industries or do you think it could impact and you know what could be the implication for iot as a whole having this other means of communication as a very reliable and pillar of communication should people desire it i think having that sort of ubiquitous connectivity will really change the game i remember i used to work in in mobile technology and we were looking at the business case for 4g uh, and at that time everyone was very excited about reimagining things that already happened, but really just sort of adding video to it. So the number of times I heard about sort of remote operations uh, or remote car 
diagnosis so you just show a video of your car and they'll tell you what to do um we're all, all of the things that we could conceive at that point in time but the real impacts of 4g in in my view was the massive acceleration of social media uh and not really high video necessarily but such more chatty apps um so the whatsapps and facebooks are things that that really grew on the back of being in everybody's pocket all of the time so i think the question then is what is the sort of satellite iot social media and and i'm not sure i really know but i do imagine that satellite iot allows us to measure many many things all around the world so at the moment we might we do things like tsunami warning systems or wildfire detection and we have specific sensors that will will detect a very specific thing and then they will make an alert and you can then manage the next steps around the alert that that asset makes but if you put together an array of sensors maybe that's then interpreted with an ai tool or a machine learning tool you're then getting into much more sort of predictive uh, ability to understand well where, where will the wildfire start and where might it go and can we do something in advance of it starting so i do think that particularly ai with many more of these sensors all around the world will help us to make really interesting decisions and, and, and develop use cases that, that we can't quite imagine today uh, and i think the exciting thing for me is we work with many different individuals or businesses that are starting to think about those challenges and we then help them with the, the satellite part of making their vision a reality and i think it's it's really exciting well you you mentioned ai there and i wanted to explore that a bit more like what adjacent innovations or technological breakthroughs do you believe significantly influence the future of satellite iot i think ai is probably the one that i think is the newest that's coming but obviously you know, satellite IoT has relied heavily on, you know, cloud computing, the ability to to get that data cheaply over cheap semiconductors and cheap chips to a cloud storage uh, in some place where then it can be processed really easily. So all of those sort of major sort of adjacent technologies have made a bit big difference. I think from a security perspective, there are an increasing number of technologies that are going to be important i think if we you know we i was speaking to a supplier recently looking at quantum computing level security not because we needed it now but because we want to need to secure that data in the future uh, and if you can take a, an image of that data now and then break it in the future that's very scary for, for certain businesses and governments so i do think the security landscape around particularly the aggregate of the data rather than just the endpoints i think will be really important to the success of iot as well and the confidence of it going forward okay great well seeing as this is continuously evolving into uh, impact iot significantly in the future i was wondering what advice would you give to industry stakeholders or engineers to prepare for these upcoming changes in satellite iot i would encourage any developer or anybody in the industry to have a go so to start you can start with something as simple as and we have a product called a rock block it's a very cheap tiny little device for a few dollars a month and you can send and receive messages anywhere in the planet it's worth starting because 
satellite at the IoT end will will be a messaging interface for the foreseeable future, um, rather than an IP interface that many people would be used to. You need the messaging interface to manage the battery power uh, and to to reduce the uh, you know the cost of using the satellites. I'd also ask them to imagine from their perspective and from all of their knowledge, kind of you know, what might then be possible if you can communicate very cheaply with an asset or a huge array of sensors anywhere in the world, what would you do? How would the combination of that global coverage, cheap devices, the sensors, the actuators, the data, the AI, the machine learning, how can that all help people or help businesses or help governments? Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say start, just have a go, get used to the idea. And then when you can see what you can achieve, with just one device then you can then start to really imagine how that might work and i think the other thing is many of these devices can be really small and they can have really long battery lives so the uh the the patch antenna that that, that sits on top of our devices is about the size of a modern postage stamp um, so these can be small these can be put anywhere they can be cheap so you know have a go, and then you might realize what's possible. So uh, how is the advent of uh, direct-to-device technology expected to impact satellite IoT's applications? Direct-to-device is hard to call. So on some levels, it's simply more users that help monetize satellites and help bring down costs that would grow the overall market. Obviously, there are billions of people on the planet, and, and, and therefore you may have millions or maybe even billions of more users. However, some of the specific implementations of direct-to-device are very different. So Apple has adopted an existing bespoke waveform with its, uh, with its adoption, and it's had really very little impact on satellite IoT other than to keep one aging network alive. The Starlink approach uh, is about repurposing cellular spectrum for non-terrestrial use. So as an example, T-Mobile in the USA has agreed to allow some of its spectrum to be used on the Starlink satellites over the USA to provide a messaging service for those T-Mobile customers. But on a global level, this is quite complex. In some countries, like in Europe, and I'm in the UK, uh, we don't have lots of spare spectrum for satellite. And you don't really need to cover the remaining little bit of landmass in, say, the UK uh, compared to the USA. So in the UK, I think we're 80% of the land mass is covered by cellular. I don't know what the equivalent is in the USA, but it will be significantly lower. Uh, and as such, the Vodafone and O2s of this world will struggle to justify giving up some of their spectrum that's really, really useful in dense urban areas to provide that little bit of extra rural coverage for a direct-to-device service. So for IoT specifically to then ride on the back of that will be both sort of patchy so, and, and, and would only be available in some countries. 
And it will be complex as well because the spectrum that T-Mobile offer to Starlink in the USA might be really different to the spectrum that's on offer in Australia, for example. So your IoT devices conceivably would then have to manage those different spectrum allocations and the fact that it may not have access in certain countries. So I think it's an interesting space to watch closely. I think uh, overall it's good. More users will help fund more technology. It will help fund more capacity. But I think in the short to medium term, other than sort of very local IoT projects, I think the impact will be relatively small. Okay, I think that's a good place to end it. Oliver, thanks for taking the time to speak to us today. I appreciate the time to speak. It's been great. Remember to subscribe to IoT Unplugged wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share with anyone you think would find it as interesting or as informative as you have. IoT Unplugged. Tune in to the Internet of Things.